My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his, ser of his servant. For now on all generations, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me in his holy name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered the proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, and he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and Israel and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So it's not even Thanksgiving yet, as we all know. And while it's a point of heated debate, whether it's okay to start talking about Christmas or dare we actually play Christmas music before Thanksgiving, here at Root and Branch, we're gonna step into Advent a week early. We're gonna do that, despite its controversy, because the season of Advent is really key to the Christian experience and it offers some really rich lessons for us um, as human beings, lessons around expectation, lessons around preparation, lessons around having hope even in the most uncertain and confusing of times. So we're starting Advent a week early because it's important. Hope we can bear with us with that. And so with me, for me, when I was growing up, Advent always meant that the time had come for us to prepare our churches Christmas pageant. Uh, we'd stay, the youth of the church would stay after church every Sunday learning our lines and practicing the really basic choreography that we were supposed to perform for the church and remind the adults there who'd ha heard this story every year of their life since they were infants themselves, we're supposed to present it to them in a new way, some way that made it real all over again. But the truth was, I was always just terrified that I would have to play Mary. Mary's role just didn't jibe with me at all. She would come in at the end of the pageant and then just kneel there at the front of the stage while staring down at a baby doll in perfect stillness. She was just supposed to be so totally clean and pristine, like an angel, graceful person who had supposedly, even though she'd supposedly just given birth, she's clean and perfect and she's conveying this miraculous wonder all through her purity. Her, her stillness, her supreme femininity that, frankly, I knew wasn't just, like, I wasn't going to live into that. There I was, this already quite gay-seeming teenager in many ways, obsessed with basketball, obsessed with um, not ever sitting still, sitting in weird sort of ways, with uh, always getting the boy toy at McDonald's. And I just knew that if I was asked to play Mary, everybody would find me out and see that I was nothing like her. It sounded mortifying. And so each year, I hoped nobody would ask me to play Mary. I was trying to remember as I prepared this sermon if uh, I ever had to, and I kind of think I did, but I think I blocked it from my memory because I hated it so much. The truth is, this deep disconnection from Mary that I felt from the time I was a little kid has really stayed with me to my adulthood. Honestly, most of my associations with Mary are just that I'm pissed off that people refer to her as if Virgin was her first name. I'm just, it irks me, it strikes me as sexist, and I don't want to deal with it. So I've largely let Mary go from my association of faith. Yet, the truth is, that itself does me a disservice, I think, in my faith. 
what it does is it deprives me, um, perhaps others can relate to this, but it deprives us of real engagement with one of the powerful women figures in the gospel story, the woman who actually brought Jesus, depending on your Christology or your understanding of how God shows up in Jesus, one could say even brings God into the world. And so now I have a new level of feminist anger that I haven't thought more about Mary in my life. So today I'm going to think a bit more about Mary. And the truth is, Mary's story is so much more complex and more relatable than the one that we're usually told. Mary came from a poor Jewish family. She was living in the rural parts of the Roman Empire. She likely would have only been 14 or 15 years old at the time that she became pregnant with Jesus. Not yet married, she carried Jesus out of wedlock. She would have suffered great social stigma of being unmarried and pregnant. She was vulnerable and she must have been scared. Yet we are told that Mary did not allow the shame or social stigma of her position to render her silent and isolated. Soon after getting the news of her pregnancy, Mary went to visit her much older cousin, Elizabeth, to share about the situation in which she so unexpectedly found herself. This occasion of Mary's visit with her cousin, Elizabeth, is the context for the text that I just read, the song that we heard. Known as the Magnificat, Mary's announcement begins with these rather tame words of praise, the most commonly quoted part of this whole deal. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God the Savior. And yeah, while this is the most famous part of this song, and actually, maybe we don't even remember it, so maybe it's not even that famous, but anyway, I think the rest of the text should perhaps be like a lot more famous and a lot well-known because it moves into this really challenging message. It quickly transforms from words of praise into a revolutionary manifesto. Mary, Mary vividly describes God lifting up the poor, vindicating the oppressed, and tearing the mighty and the comfortable down from their pedestals of power and of privilege. These are not the words of a meek and polite girl, compliant, pure, silent. They're quite literally fighting words. Honestly, her vision is a bit scary for anyone who finds themselves in a place of comfort and privilege. Mary says that God will send the rich away empty, lower those who are currently in places of power, so radical is Mary's vision that reading it in its entirety has been banned in numerous countries at various parts in recent history. Mary's words spark fear in the hearts of powerful people. And I imagine if we are honest, we might find them a little personally scary too. Much like Karl Marx or Bernie Sanders or even AOC, Mary is describing a real tangible historical reordering of social power. She's describing revolution and for anyone who finds themselves on the upper end of any spectrum of privilege, revolution is frankly terrifying. And I think it's important that we not gloss over the intensity of what Mary is saying here. Here we have the null holds barred testimony from a marginalized person that they really do hope that their oppressors get what's, what's coming to them. It can be hard to hear if we see any of the oppressor in ourselves. But part of our work as human beings is to be honest about the ways that our unchecked privilege and our unearned power do impact and harm other people. And I'm not saying, in case this isn't clear, like, y'all should do this and I shouldn't. The, the real thing I'm saying here is like, all of us, no matter where we find ourselves socially, need to do this work. Because 
Oh, and to consider the legitimacy of charges or at least complaints or times when people bravely come to us and say, you've hurt me, consider the legitimacy of those claims against us, each of us, personally. One of my biggest frustrations with all the diversity statements that companies have loved to make in the past year or so is that they rarely take actual ownership of their own role in creating the problem, or they almost never take real steps toward accountability Taking, taking action to tangibly repair the harm that has been done. And so in light of all of these instances of failed justice, Mary's joy at the prospect of God coming in and actually tearing the powerful down, actually making things right, makes so much sense. But if we're honest, it's all too easy when we are in a position of comfort or authority ourselves to forget the power that we have to right the wrongs that we've done. So, first of all, Mary's song is a chance for each of us to ask ourselves how we might not be on God's side all the time. It's a reminder that we need to be regularly reflecting. I smile because Rachel, my friend, and I talk about this sometimes, but regularly reflecting on the ways that our choices, especially if we're like a boss or like we have people who work for us or whatever, how our choices are actually impacting them and might, in fact, be hurting them actually do this work of self-reflection. Like, people tell us sometimes when we've done something wrong, and it's up to us to listen and make a change. That maybe is a bit intense, although I didn't really say it in that intense of a way, but it's true. And think of how much better our world would be if the people in power regularly did this work of self-reflection. Can you imagine your boss or our city's mayor, for example, actually doing the work to correct themselves when they are acting in harmful ways? How radically different might the world look if each of us took the daily responsibility to do this reflection? And so yes, while Mary's song offers us this invitation to self-reflect, it also offers a powerful message of hope that God is already doing the work of justice. This message of hope, I want to be clear, is once again for all of us. No matter our gender or our race, all of us, every single person in this room, every single person in this world, no matter how privileged we may be, has also felt the personal sting of injustice, the despair of hopelessness in our lives. Mary's song tells us that God looks at us with mercy and favor and that God helps us in our times of need. One of the most striking features of Mary's song is that she doesn't speak in the past tense. She speaks not in the present tense e either, but in the past tense. She says, she does not say, God will bring down the powerful, God will raise the lowly, but that God has brought down the powerful, that God has lifted the lowly. It's like Mary has already seen God's help and work of justice come to full completion before it has even happened. In the Constellation Group, formerly known as Abolition Group, which is now called the Solidarity and Mutual Aid Group, here at Root and Branch, we have been toying with this way of orienting ourselves to the world. One of the core ideas of abolitionist organizing in politics is that we try to allow the fullness of our ideals about how the world should be to guide us in our actions now. Instead of first asking about the practicality and policy details of a political vision, though of course those are important, we first ask ourselves, what's actually good for people? And when we have that question in mind first, we begin to think that systems like we think about systems like policing and prisons differently. We aren't so sure anymore that it's right for anyone to shoot anyone under any circumstances. We're not so certain 
that locking away any human being, no matter who they are or what they have done, is actually a good thing. That might sound utopic, and to be honest, I think it is utopic. But the life of faith invites us to be less bound by the confines of what seems pragmatic and realistic, and instead be guided by the fullness of our imaginations and of our dreams. The life of faith shifts our relations to the world around us. It teaches us to be skeptical to some significant degree of how the world actually appears around us, to question what is widely accepted as common sense, and to instead believe that a wildly different vision, a wildly different way of being, God's way of being, is the deeper, realer truth, the realest truth, in fact. This living by faith is the heart of the prophetic tradition that Mary steps so amazingly into with the with this song of justice. It's, and in fact, it's the vision that we're all invited to consider and to try and embody every day in our own lives. But I can't help but wonder, as we consider Mary's prophetic vision, only a couple days after a young white man who killed two people who were rallying to protect and stand for the dignity of black lives has been acquitted on all charges, what are we to make of Mary's certainty about God's justice? How can we believe the good things that God promises us and that we are told to anticipate in the Advent season are actually going to come at all? The events of our lives beg the question, has God scattered the proud? Has God taken the powerful from their thrones? Will God still? How can we say yes to these questions when things like Friday's jury decisions happen all the time? While the Advent season tends to be framed as a time to look forward to the future with hopeful expectation, remember, Mary's song was framed in the past tense. God has brought down the powerful. God has lifted the lowly. How was Mary so certain? A basic Jewish teaching and really practical way of life to the way I understand it as an outsider, uh, but a teaching is that, um, that she would have been steeped in as a Jewish person is that it is critically important to remember with gratitude that God brought the Jewish people out of slavery in Egypt. And it's this memory this amazing memory that we receive with gratitude for God's past deliverance that transforms us now and shapes our expectations for what's possible in the future. While each of us can undoubtedly name 15, or way more than 15 probably, things that have happened in the past couple years that would be cause for pessimism and despair, I bet that each of us, if we could, honestly, without that much effort, also name 15 things that happened in this past year that were absolutely wonderful, life-renewing, unexpected. In truth, we are constantly experiencing major disappointments in our lives, even as we are constantly experiencing amazing, amazing moments of renewal and grace. Mary's song, which speaks of past acts of redemption, invites us to a similar practice of identifying the moments in our past where God did great things for us. The truth is our ability to have hope in the future is inextricably tied to how we orient ourselves to the past. The more we can see the beacons of hope in the past, the gifts, the graces, all of that that we have received, the more able we are to live into the future with hope. But we don't fall into this gratitude-based, hope-filled orientation, world-appending, all of that way of being to the world just by ourselves. We're not off just like 
I don't know, dreaming and disassociating from the world. Remember, Mary shared her song of justice with her cousin Elizabeth. Perhaps Mary knew that not everybody would be able to receive her radical vision of past, present, future justice with openness and celebration. But Elizabeth did. In all honesty, boldly believing that justice is really possible in our world is a tender and a vulnerable act. Doing so is often dismissed as naive or childish or absurd. <laughs> uh, I just laugh because many people, well, I often feel naive talking about abolition, but like I'm really into it. And I, I don't think, maybe it is naive, but I'm like, you know what? It's possible. Okay, anyway. It's received as naive living into these like dreams for how the world should be. And also, okay, I am talking about justice. I think Mary's talking about justice. This isn't in my notes, but I also want to say like our personal dreams for what we want in our life, usually like our deep, deep dreams are also really tender and vulnerable to share. And I also think they usually have something to do with justice because most of us want to be happy. Most of us want to be loved and like, that's the foundation of justice, is it not? But it's like hard to say those things, hard to say how much we want them, hard to say how much we believe in them, despite all the evidence to the contrary. So what I'm saying is this like deep vulnerability to share our hopes that Mary so amazingly embodied and really the great gift that Elizabeth gave her to hear this kind of a crazy as ableist, but like kind of crazy thing that I'm pregnant, you know, well, you know, with Jesus or whatever. I mean, they wouldn't have known what that meant at the time, but like <laughs> all of that to say, like, uh, just think about it. Like, it's amazing. These two women are like sharing this incredible vision for justice with each other and like believing each other. And it's kind of sad that women believing, being believed and believing each other. Okay, I'm way off my notes, but all this to say like that it's in and of itself is incredible and a miracle and frankly inspirational. And if we could do a little better, better, better at that, I do think the world would be better. And final two paragraphs, I really think that's part of what we're doing here at church. We're practicing becoming the kinds of people who are open to God's dreams for this world and that are open to one another's dreams for our lives and for our communities. Part of the work of Advent is meditating on the impossible seeming idea that God actually came into this world all those years ago as a human baby and can and will be reborn in this world through each of us Get it? I'm like saying we're all kind of like Mary. But God is going to be reborn into this world through each of us when we embody God's vision in the way that Jesus did and also in the way that Mary did. And so in this Advent season, I hope we can all become a little bit more like Mary and a little bit more like Elizabeth. People so open to God's vision and work in the world that not only do new possibilities for forgiveness, for grace, for redemption, for new forms of social order, for a world without prisons and police, uh, healthcare for all, yeah, I don't know, justice. Uh, but like where these things actually come into being through us. Um, and so that like Mary, we become carriers of God's very flesh and blood into this world. So as we anticipate God's redemption of all through our remembrance of Christ's birth all those years ago, may we ourselves become carriers of Christ too doers of radical, transformative love for one another and for everyone that we meet in this world. Amen. <laughs>